welcome, welcome. This is According to Callus. This is episode 210. And this marks the return of Theology Thursday. Yes. It is a Thursday, and I, in fact, uh, taking a theology course at my church. Um, professional or personal enrichment, perhaps, we might call it. And tonight, I want you to bear with me. I'm going to talk about the church. It's kind of the culmination of the, you know, the weeks and weeks that I've been going through the class. And we did a number of thought experiments tonight having to do with the church. So I thought that I'd have a little exposition on this. Um, so let's begin. What is the church? So most simply, it's uh, any group of people that get together, they worship, and they provide a number of services or fulfill a number of functions to meet that qualification. Now I'm going to pause right here and say, yes, there are three major branches within Christianity, the Orthodox, the Catholic, and the Protestants. And then there are probably innumerable distinguishing traits amongst all three of those. So I'm not going to get into the individual distinctiveness of uh, each branch or subdivision. That's not really relevant to the purpose of this talk. Likewise, if your church believes something a little bit different than my church or your understanding of what's say, biblically approved is different than mine, that's okay for the purposes of this discussion. This discussion is going to be centered wholly upon my experience and my understanding, thus the name of the show, according to Callus, and you are not bound by my sect of Christianity versus your sect of Christianity, or if you prefer, my denomination versus your denomination. Not relevant. What is relevant is the idea that a church is going to meet, they're going to worship, they're going to uh, take part in communion, they're going to disciple, and they're going to baptize, right? So there's your church. So we talked about how would you order your church? In other words, do you want it to be congregational? Do you want it to be singularly pastor-led? Do you want it to be part of a denomination? Do you want it to be independent or semi-independent? All very interesting things that, honestly, I hadn't considered. But the thought experiment had to do with the idea that you were going to plant a church. So you're starting from scratch. Now, i got to say... Um, I've lived through a number of different functions of this, and my biggest concern, aside from the fact that I would reject congregationalism as a, just a horrible, impractical idea, but be that as it may, the alternative is some form of deacons slash elder board, or just the senior pastor runs everything, or the senior pastor's, you know run directed by the elders it, there's all sorts of variations and whatever else and again whatever your church has decided to do that's 
your church's business. And if you don't go to church, you know, I can't help you. What I want to talk about is the idea of the senior pastor is the be all end all of a church. To me, and the reason why I bring this up is there's already one God. We don't need somebody else filling those shoes. And if you're Catholic, I mean, you've got the Pope, you've got a hierarchy there. But realistically, you're not going to get a priest just come in and say, well, that's maybe what they think, but this is how we're going to do it here. I mean, that doesn't really happen. But in a Protestant church, that is possible and probable depending on how big the pastor's head is. So one of the things I've noticed in the last, I don't know, let's say decade or so, there's been a preponderance of pastors that feel like they somehow know better or that they should tweak things because, well, you know, they want to be edgy and relevant and whatever else. So my fear is, this borderlines the cult of personality. Your pastor is no longer acting like a pastor or the leader of a flock, but a Messiah figure in his own right, if you will. Now, this is particularly sketchy when you get to some of the lady pastors, but we're going to set that side over for just a moment because I don't really think that you should, well, just we're going to leave that alone. If your senior pastor follows under simple understanding that the vast majority of Christianity understands that you have a male senior pastor, we can skirt the female pastor issue for now because it's not relevant to where I'm going to take this. You have a senior pastor who largely reads or runs the church and is kind of the definitive answer. And you're now borderline cult of personality and everybody defers to this pastor and you have bad things happen. And there's a vested interest in the church body or leadership to hush them up, not discuss them, not uh, deal with them because, you know, we wouldn't want to risk the cash cow that is our pastor. We wouldn't want to mess up the gravy gravy train. Wow. The gravy train that is our congregation coming in and giving us money. So at this point, does that church now cease to function as a church? Is it now more a cause of it serves itself than its congregation? I think this is a fair question. I think this is an intriguing way to look at things. There are a great number of large churches that when the senior pastor retires or gets riddled in scandal, collapse, fold upon themselves. Some of them, probably that's the best outcome. If the senior pastor gets embroiled in a scandal and was proven to be a fraud, that church is probably not that solid in the first place and those people would be better off somewhere else. I mean, there's plenty of ministries that have hidden their fraud or their deceit or whatever you want to call it for decades. And it's only much later on that people figure out, well, it was not what we thought it was. But there's yet devout people there. And the thing is, is the church functions in spite of or despite the pastor or bad leader. So my question, because one of the things that always 
kind of pushes my button, if you will, is this constant need to remind everybody the church is supposed to be in unity. The church is supposed to be unified. Yeah, okay, I get it. But if you're always pushing for diversity and multicultural and multi this and multi that, it's very hard to be unified or be unity. You're supposed to be unified in Christ or have a unity through Christ. So you can have divergent churches and backgrounds and different cultures come together and agree on this one thing. And we all basically submit to that. But I'm not, I'm not really sure that there's a super good example of how to make that work. There's always a dominant culture. Always. And, you know, I'm in a white suburban town and the white suburban culture is going to dominate. But if I were to go to Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship with Dr. Tony Evans, I would be a fish out of water. But you know what? I would appreciate his preaching. I would probably get a good word given to me and I would be benefited from attending that church, but it clearly would not be my culture. It would be outside of my scope of normal experiences, but that doesn't make it bad or less valuable. Just something to consider. I mean, there are plenty of, um, for lack of a better phrase, Asian churches, whether they're Indian, Chinese, Korean, whatever, Filipino, there, there are all these different churches that cater to a specific background. Nobody has issue with that. That's okay. They don't see that as being a problem with the unity. But apparently, white suburban churches are the problem. Now, I'm going to put a brief um, aside in here. None of this is directed at the church that I attend. While my church is not perfect, I'm generally satisfied, which is why I still attend there. And so the idea that we have to be unified in Christ, that we have to all be on the same page, can prove to be problematic. Because at what point are you going to cater to the whims of a senior pastor or even a rogue elder board that backs the senior pastor? Or your denomination goes off the rails. I mean, at some point you've got to say, this is wrong. This is in violation of what we've been taught for millennia. This is in conflict with what the scriptures actually say. And yes, I know you've divined a new way of thinking about this, or you believe that this was unfulfilled or whatever, but you don't get to make that decision all by yourself. Now, there's going to be a lot of people that go along to get along. They're going to just shrug it off and say, oh, no big deal. And we're going to go down this path. I could tell you there are plenty of examples where these changes take place and good things don't happen. And an otherwise growing healthy church becomes less than. The policies that get implemented cause long-term damage and perhaps irreversible damage to churches. Now, again, I'm I'm putting the proviso in. If your church wants to do it that way and you're comfortable with that, that's fine. That's not about your church. It's about a hypothetical church that you're attending 
suddenly changes the way they've been doing things because somebody felt that it was time or somebody felt that they knew better. Let me equate this to my Catholic friends. Prior to the Vatican II, there was a specific way that most Catholic churches did things. And then one day in the 60s, the church via the Pope issued a new proclamation that this is how we're going to do things going forward. Now I could tell you that didn't sit very well with my father. He was really had a difficult time determining how everything was fine the day before, but now today it's wrong or vice versa. All this stuff was wrong yesterday, but now today it's fine. Now I don't know all the details because I was not raised Catholic and I can't give you all the details to give you an idea how valid or invalid it is in my opinion because I don't know and it's not that important because I'm not a Catholic but if you're a Catholic and you're curious you should go look up at the changes that took place after Vatican II they might be of some interest to you so likewise you don't have a pope in the Protestant church but your senior pastor in many ways fulfills a role similar to the pope whereupon if he makes a decision that we're going to do X instead of Y and the elders board just goes along with it. Well, then that's the way we're going to do it. Now they may stop and try and sales pitch it to the rest of the congregation, or they may just announce it. Now this is what we're going to do now. And if you don't like it, there's the door. But again, it's very hard to stay unified unless you one accept, let's call it uh, different doctrine. How about a nice polite way of phrasing it? You're going to accept another doctrine. Last week it was this way. This week it's this way. Why? Because we say so. Now, I did not directly live through something like this that I'm aware of. However, I have family members that have. I, there is a local church that decided to do something about this, and it was a bit of a controversy in the last 10 years. And honestly, I was really disappointed. But I think it was allowed to happen and tolerated because of the idea of a cult of personality. That was the underlying issue there. And for one, that's not what I want. So if I'm going to attend a church, and I believe the pastor is now crossed over to the idea of cult of personality, that would be a good reason for me to leave. I don't think that's a functioning as a church, because they are determining that their pastor knows better than two millennia of church history or the clear teaching of the Bible. But that's just me. Your mileage may vary. Oh, I guess we'll transfer on to number two. What is it? What determines what's the church? Well, I kind of already touched base on that. But let me ask you, if you're going to a church and it ceases to do church things, do you have a responsibility to stay there? Should you stay and fight for it, if you will? Or should you leave? What What if they're the ones that are going off the rails? I mean, what's your responsibility? It's presumably to your family first, but what about your other brethren? Do you not feel at least somewhat obligated to warn them or tell them, hey, this is bad theology, we're going the wrong direction here, probably ought not take part in this? I don't know. It's another situation where your mileage may vary. For me personally, uh, there's been some things that have happened over the years that I've been less than enthusiastic about. And because 
of my position in the church, i.e. I attend, I donate some money or tithe some money, whichever way you want to put it, and I have had young kids, I generally just looked at it as church is my safe space. I'm not going to go here and do political battles. Perhaps that was the wrong attitude. Uh, Evidence suggests that maybe that was the wrong attitude, but I can't fight 24-7. I mean, I I kind of like debating. I kind of like arguing. I kind of like pushing. But the whole idea of a unified church, and we're supposed to all be on the same page, I mean, kind of bought into that. I, I thought that was good doctrine. Yet, it seems as if I was on the losing end of that. Because I didn't push back. Because I didn't do certain things. Again, like I said, I'm not necessarily speaking directly to the church I attend now. I've been there for a long period of time. I am generally happy why I'm still there. But it doesn't mean it's perfect. It doesn't mean there haven't been challenges. It doesn't mean that I haven't been upset a time or two. But again, it's a big step to break fellowship. It's a big step to leave. Especially when there's just so many other minor things that are going to be dust in the wind at some point in the future. And while it might seem important to you now, you have to look at the bigger picture. So that's that's the struggle, right? Keeping everything in check. Keeping a responsible view of what's going on and, and how to prioritize things. So, again, if you're in a good church, you're solid, you participate, you're more than just a spectator, and something happens that you're not enthusiastic about, you have to make the decision. Is this worth arguing about, or is this worth leaving, or do I just kind of deal with it and let it go? Well, for my part, I've decided, for the most part, to just let it go. It, it wasn't crossing the red line, if you will. It wasn't violating the line in the sand. It wasn't worth it. But what do you do if you're at a church that does that? Do you just accept defeat and go on somewhere else? Do you follow the Matthew 18 prescription where you're going up the chain of command, if you will, and dealing with this person? But what if, again, what if it's we're dealing with the senior pastor and the rogue elders that rather than hold them accountable, go along with it? Because, you know, well, it's a new thing. We want to remain relevant. We want to be hip. Never mind what two millennia of church history has taught us because we know better now. Again, your answer might be different than mine. But you probably ought to give it some thought. You ought to determine why it is you believe what you believe. What's more important? This is kind of a reoccurring theme in this podcast, isn't it? You need to figure out what you believe, why you believe it, and then stand on it. So, the next thing. What does a church do? Well, I've also touched on that a little bit in the two preceding um sections but ideally and my church has done this exceedingly well our mission statement is people helping people find and follow christ i think that's very well stated now i know there's a whole bunch of other variations of that and other things that are similar and i'm not saying your church is wrong i'm just saying i really like that 
It's succinct, it's direct, and it's clear. So if that's what we're doing, again, back to the thought experiment. How do you do that? What is the best way or the most basic way when you're starting or planting your church to accomplish that? Now, for me, I suggested, well, you have to have a solid men's ministry. Rationale is the men are going to build the church and they bring their families along with it. Now, I got a little pushback. Well, you know, the women, yeah, okay. It's assumed the women are going to be involved. It's assumed the women always have their own thing. By default, that's not a complaint, not a bad thing. It's just reality. Men are the ones that need to be pushed in the relationships. Men are the ones that need to take on that control. They need to be put in a position where it's demanded of them. Because, let's face it, there's a lot of demands. And you need to have it spelled out clearly sometimes. I know I need that from time to time as well. Oftentimes I'll ask, um, just tell me what you need me to do. It just makes life easier if there's a proper understanding of what the expectation is. So I, I say that. There are other suggestions, you know, children's ministry, um, serving the community around them. Proper church services, Sunday school, all that stuff. That's all relevant. That's all important. Those are all functions that the church holds. But I've talked about this a little bit in the past on more than one occasion, I'm sure. But ultimately, church is supposed to be an extension of your family. It's supposed to be a secondary family, a larger community of people that you get to know. Now, if you go to a church with 10,000 people, that's not going to happen. That's what they have small groups or subgroups for. But if you're going to a medium-sized church, right, let's say 500 to 1,000 people, even then you might know the vast majority of people by sight in your church. But it's really hard to develop a relationship. It's really hard to hold people accountable and make sure they're doing the right things and they're, they're growing if you're in a great big church of 10,000 or even in that medium-sized church. So you break it down and you have your subgroups. But again, this is a church plant. So the idea is, a thought experiment, how do you do that? Well, obviously, the thing that I didn't mention, but the thing that should have been first and foremost is you have your prayer team, your prayer group, and you're bringing the people together and you're remembering who you're there to serve and who you're there to represent. So if you're not willing to do that, if you're not taking part of that, are you really functioning as a church? Are you really doing the church thing, right? Now, prayer is a form of worship. Prayer is a form of communication. Prayer is a lot more than just a wish list. And I mean, I'm guilty of it too. I mean, from time to time, I'll just rattle off all the things I need help with. And it's kind of like an expanded wish list, if you will. But it's supposed to be an open communication. It's supposed to be seeking an answer. Now you're probably not going to have an experience like Moses, right? There's a bush burning and you hear the word of God. You're probably not going to even be able to pull off the uh, wet sheepskin and dry ground in 
wet ground with dry sheepskin. You're probably not going to pull that off. Um, you're probably not even going to hear uh, the voice like uh, Samuel. Look at Samuel. Yeah. You're probably never, ever going to experience those things. But you have that still small voice inside you. And if you're listening to it, if you're keyed into it, you'll be led in the right direction. That's what you have to believe. That's part of the Christianity. And I know we're going we're gonna to pause here one more moment. And I've got to remind you, if this is not your faith, fine, no problem. No harm, no foul, do your thing. As a Christian, we are not supposed to judge pagans for living like pagans. But as Christians and somebody else claims to be a Christian along us, we have to use the discernment and judgment to determine whether or not they're actually fulfilling their responsibilities of claiming to be a Christian. So there's a big dichotomy there. I don't worry about people that don't identify with me. They're not part of my team. But I do worry about people that are supposed to be on my team, people that identify as Christians, people that are also representing Christ. They need to be held accountable, and I'm one of those people that needs to do that. That's part of the responsibilities of iron sharpening iron. Pause over. So as we're building out our churches, we're thinking about this thought experiment. We have to consider location, building, and how we're reaching out. Who's your target audience? Now, obviously, depending where you place your building or your future building is going to determine who shows up at your church. And I'm going to suspect that who you appoint as your senior pastor is going to also determine who's attracted to your church. Likewise, we have to consider all plethora of other things, how you market it. But the reality is, you ought to be able to go and give a simple recitation of what God's Word has to say about something with some form of worship and prayer, and that should be sufficient for you to draw people in. So is the question, do we want to grow a nice big church, or do we want to grow a healthy body for Christ? There's the challenge. There's the question. That's the thought experiment as a whole, in my opinion. So the theology behind this is the idea of what is a church? What is it supposed to do? And how does it come about? And that was my takeaway from my theology class. And I thought I'd share it with you. I thought that there might be some value and some application for you even outside the church if that's not your thing. And I, I get it. Look, there are plenty of people that are cultural Christians. I wish them no ill. But you have to claim your heritage. You have to know whom it is you say you serve. And the only way you can do that is with worship and preaching and teaching and a little time studying to understand and if you don't want to I'm not going to make you that's not my job that's not government's job that's between you and your creator with that <laughs> we're going to wrap it up 
This was, according to Callus, this was episode 210, and this was the return of Theology Thursday, and I will see you on the other side. And just one last point here, if I may, each episode is just me, only me. It's called According to Callus because it reflects me. It's my opinion, my thoughts. If you find it valuable, like, share, comment on the show, tell your friends, every little bit helps. We're trying to put the word out. We're trying to build a show here that we can reflect what's going on in McKinney and in Collin County, specifically in Texas. Obviously, there's larger implications at play, but we really don't have local representation. And that's what I'm trying to do for you. Thank you again, and I'll see you later.